Amen. Thank you, Jackie, and thank you, Jill, for your faithfulness in leading us in worship today. It was a wonderful time. Today I want to begin speaking on a topic that I am so excited about. I am just like a kid in a candy store. I don't know where to start. I mean, there's just candy all over the place. I feel like I just feel like I just can go and grab bins and handfuls of candy different places, and therefore I'm, my mind is, is rattling right now of things to talk about over the topics of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. I am so excited for where the Lord is taking this church. I am so excited about what the potential is. Coming off of last week's service, I believe that was a turning point. I believe that was a monumental service in our church, in our, in our life. And I'm so excited because God has you right here. He has you in this place for a reason. Do you understand that? He has you appointed here today for a reason. And just like Gideon's army, you are appointed here and you are a powerful warrior. And I am too. And I'm excited about that. And I just, I'm so anticipating what the Lord is going to do. So how we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks, I'll be very honest with you, I have no idea. I am just waiting for the Lord to bring me the word. And I will do my best to unleash it. Amen. I will do my best to, 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 to give you what the Lord pours into my heart. I will do my best to give it to you. Because I believe God has us here for a reason. I can't state that enough. You know, I've had a lot of doubts. I've had a lot of questions as to what's going on in my life. I've had a lot of questions about why. I'm done asking questions. I'm done asking why. I'm saying, Lord, I'm here. Lord, I'm available. Use me. Lord, uh, you have me here for a particular reason. You have us here. Lord, use this church. Use us. We want the manifest presence of God in this place. We want the glory to fall in this place. And we want Jesus to be, re- uh, to, to be supreme. And we want him to be on the throne in our hearts and in our lives and in this church. Amen. Amen. This is good. I'm so excited. I've got to get myself under control. But I'll tell you right now, the information that we're going to come, we're going to bring, is going to bring a challenge. Okay? And understand that whenever God brings a challenge to you, it is always for your benefit. God never brings a challenge to you that would hurt you. Understand that. And as he brings challenges through people, as he brings a challenge through his word, as you get in and read God's word, I guarantee you, if you read the Bible, it will challenge you. If you read the Bible and open up your mind to what the Bible is telling you, it will challenge you because it's truth. It's God's Word revealed today. And the challenges that He's going to bring to us may be hard, and it may stretch you, and it may push you out of your comfort zone a little bit, but I guarantee you it will not hurt you. It will not. It will only bring God's glory. And over the next few weeks, as we're seeking what it means to, to, to bring God's presence into this place, that we will find and we will feel the manifest presence of God, like we did today, bigger and better every Sunday and, and as we move on. Amen. We have a mission statement in our church that says that we are heavenly effective through earthly relevance. That's our overarching mission statement, to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance. And the only way that we can be heavenly effective is if I'm relevant on earth. That doesn't mean that I float in my heads in the clouds all the time and I'm so earthly minded, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, so heavenly minded that I can't be functional in life. I have to be functional in life. You have to be functional in life if you're going to have a heavenly effectiveness. I didn't say it. I did not say that word. <laughs> I said a heavenly effectiveness. 
I'll go back and listen to that tape and see if I really did or not. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. But here's how we become heavenly effective to earthly relevance. This is the purpose statement that I believe God is giving our church to help us fine-tune and help us to dig into our overarching mission statement. Our purpose statement is going to be this, to know Jesus and to make him known. How do we become heavenly effective to earthly relevance? By knowing Jesus and then making him known. Now, that seems like a very simple statement, to know Jesus. Well, most of us in this building know Jesus. Would you say you know Jesus? Yeah. And I'm not saying you don't know Jesus. So don't misread what I'm saying. But what I am saying is because I'm feeling the onion peeled back in my life that there is so much more to knowing Jesus than what I know. To know Jesus is a simple statement with huge ramifications, with huge impact. Because when I really, when I really know Jesus, I will not be the same man I was yesterday. And when I know Jesus again today, I will be different tomorrow. And I will be different the next day because there is so much to knowing Jesus that I cannot contain it. And I will never say that I know Jesus enough. I will go through all of eternity knowing Jesus getting to know the character of who he is and what he is and how instrumental and how important he is in my life, I will go through eternity, and so will you, getting to know Jesus. Now, once we get to know Jesus, our challenge is not just just to be self-absorbed with it. Our challenge is to do what? Make him known. We then are called, the Great Commission is go out and make disciples. Go out to all the world beginning in Judea, but to all the world and make him known and raise up disciples. And that's the challenge that we have. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about a corn plant and a cornfield and how how a cornfield grows is exactly very similar, exactly very similar. Um, A cornfield grows very similarly, not exact, but similarly to a church. And that is that we grow one person at a time, one stalk at a time. God grows his church through people. It doesn't grow up just as an organism by itself. It, goes through, it comes up through people. And growth is an interesting thing because growth requires something. Let me see if you can figure it out with me. <laughs> Let me go back because this is an example that all of us can, can know, even though he's not here today. Anybody remember, go back three years ago. Remember, anybody remember how tall Zach Hankins was three years ago? All right. How tall is Zach today? Six, eight? What, what, did, what did growth do in Zach's life? What did it do? It changed him. It changed him from a small boy to a huge man. See, that's what growth does. Growth comes with change. Spiritually, you're going to change. If you're going to grow spiritually, you're going to change. Now, is change bad? Do you resist change? 
<laughs> Come on, be honest. Yeah. Yeah, because we kind of like it where we're at. We kind of like our comfort zone. We kind of like it where we're, where we're at. We kind of like this, this pair of pants that I'm in right now. I kind of like it that they fit good and they're not too long and they're not too short. But, you know, when I grow, poor Zach, he grew out a lot of pair. Poor Dawn, he grew out a lot of pants. And poor Scott, because he had to pay the bill. But, you know, growth happens. When you grow spiritually, understand you're going to change. And if you're resistant to change, you're resistant to spiritual growth. How is that change going to happen? Well, it's going to happen differently for every one of us. It's not going to happen the same for me as it, as, going to, as it is for you. But change may be very challenging. It may be hard. It may require a commitment that maybe you didn't realize. It may push you out of comfort zones. It may require something out of you that you never knew was required. Wow. You know, I was so touched this morning by Ron in Sunday school, his acknowledgement of how the Lord is changing his life. Ron, I'm not embarrassing you, but I'm just using you as a good example because, see, you've been in this church all your life. And you very well could say, I'm only going to do this much and I'm going to stop because I know what it is to be a Christian and I'm a pretty good Christian and I'm not going to be challenged with anything more. But the Lord's working in your heart. And he's changing you, Ron, every day. And you're not resistant to it. And that's the amazing part. And that's the thing that's going to make you a man of God. And I'll stop talking about Ron because I don't want to embarrass him. But he's doing the same thing in your lives, too, if you're willing to let him. You know, like we said earlier, just because we say we're a Christian church, God does not rest in every church unless he's welcomed in. Recognize that. Just because we call ourselves Christian, if we're not welcoming him in our hearts on a daily basis, then he's not resonant in us. We are the holy of holies. You know, in the Old Testament days, there was that, as you go into the temple, you had the, the outer courts and the inner courts, and then you walked into the holy of holies. And the holy of holies was for one man one time a year, and that was for the priest that would come to sacrifice, to make the sacrifices for all the sins of all of Israel. And that was such a holy place, it was such a powerful place, that they would tie a rope around his ankle, and they would put bells on the hem of his garment, so that if they heard or if they didn't hear the bells jingling while he was in there, then obviously the priest had some sin in his life and God judged him because no sin can be in the Holy of Holies. And God would kill him and nobody could go in and get him. They had to pull him out with a rope. That's how significant and that's how powerful God is. Now, when Jesus died on the cross so many years ago, and that twelfth hour came, or that time before he died, and, and the whole sky went dark for three hours from about twelve o'clock to about three o'clock. In there, the temple was torn. I'm sorry, the curtain in the temple was torn top to bottom. And that tearing of the temple top to bottom, that was signifying that the, inner, that the Holy of Holies now is open for all men to go into at any time you wanted to get into the Holy of Holies. So now God has torn the temple curtain. The Holy of Holies is exposed. And now, quite honestly, he is in your heart. The Holy of Holies now isn't in a building. 
It's not in this building. It's not in any other building. The Holy of Holies is in your heart. Can you get that? Can you grasp that? Can you, if you could, when we get to understand that, that's going to help us get to know Jesus better. It's going to help us to grasp this holy of holy concept and that Jesus loves us so much. He loves me so much. He loves you so much that he was willing to die on the cross and God was willing to tear the, tear the, the curtain top to bottom so that we then can experience the holy of holies in our life. Amen. Now, this change process, like I said before, it's good for you. It may be hard. It may challenge you. God would never require something of you, first of all, that he wouldn't allow you to do. He wouldn't give you the ability to do it, and he wouldn't challenge you to hurt you. But it's going to happen. If you're going to grow, it's going to happen. This church is going to grow. And as this church grows, we're going to see changes. We're going to continue to see changes. And all of this is the takeaway from this going back a little bit to last Sunday's message about how God used the small army of Gideon, how he took an army of 32,000 and he sifted it down to an army of 300. God used that to accomplish a miracle. Defeating an army of the Midianites that was thousands and thousands strong, quite honestly, even 32,000 people wasn't an equal number. So even 32,000, they still couldn't have done it without the glory of God. But God even took it even further, took it even further down to a smaller remnant so that for sure Israel would say, the glory of God saved us. It was only by the glory of God did he come in and rescue us from the Midianites. The takeaway from that is in our heart, in our life today, is that we have... The same thing happening, and God does it through people. He does it through divine appointments through us. And he does it all for the glory of God. And when I started to think about this, a man that came to my mind right away was John the Baptist. When I looked at John the Baptist's life, and when I could understand how well he understood his appointment, John knew who he was, and he knew what he was supposed to do. Look with me in, in John chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. John has a lot of confidence in his position, in his role, in, his, in, the, in the place that God had him to be here. And we're going to talk about the faith in just a minute. But let's read this. Finally, they said, this is the Pharisees, and this is the other religious leaders of the day. They were asking John, finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And then skip down to verse 26 of John chapter 1. John says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am worthy to untie. Do you see John's boldness in the proclamation of who he is and of who he's representing? John is not talking about himself. He is heralding, he is proclaiming Jesus who is yet to come. 
And the, amount, the, the, the amazing amount of faith that John must have had to do that. But John was very clear in this. No one could misunderstand John's message. There was someone coming that was greater than him, and he was boldly and unashamedly proclaiming Jesus. Now, the question that that raises to me, can people say that about me? Am I as boldly and unashamedly proclaiming Jesus? Are you unashamedly and proclaiming and and proudly, boldly proclaiming who Christ is? John understood his role was to bring glory to Jesus because Jesus was coming after him and he wasn't even worthy to untie his sandals. But because of the glory that John knew, the amount of faith that he had to make those kind of statements, and he didn't even know Jesus. He hadn't even met him at this point in time. There was something that was placed in John's heart that gave him that boldness. We have today the Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit, actually, that was in John. It's the same Holy Spirit that was in John's life at his inception, at his birth. Well, before his birth, actually, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, walked into Elizabeth's house. Mary was pregnant with Jesus. Um, Elizabeth was pregnant about six months along with John the Baptist. And as soon as they met, the Holy Spirit filled John in the baby, in the womb right to life, baby. <laughs> that was it. There was a baby there, and it was John the Baptist, and he was filled with the Spirit when Jesus was in the, mother, the, was in, uh, the womb of Mary. They, they came together, and the Holy Spirit filled John. And John had a life thereafter of walking in the Holy Spirit. And so do you and I. That's the beauty of it. So do you and I. Today, as Jesus is in our heart and our life, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit's in you, and it's the same Holy Spirit that was in John, that's in you, that's giving you the faith to proclaim who Jesus is. And when we proclaim who Jesus is, that brings glory to God. And when we bring glory to God, Jesus will be, he'll be lifted up, and all men will be drawn unto him, and things change. That's when things happen. That's when the glory of God moves on us. And then John said the things, the statement above all statements. I really, well, John got it. John understood exactly what his role was. If you look at John chapter 3, verse 30, boy, again, a very simple statement with huge ramifications. He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. So John could have been puffed up. John could have had this holier-than-now mentality to say, I'm John the Baptist. I'm, I'm a really important guy because I'm heralding the Christ who's yet to come. But the, but the way the Holy Spirit worked on John is he kept him a humble man, a man not worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. And then John says, he must increase and I must decrease. And it's the same thing in our lives today, folks. That's why God uses broken vessels. That's why he uses us in our weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 31, speaks this way. For the, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and th- sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. 
Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the, and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, that is us in a nutshell. He has just described center point assembly. That is us in our weakness, in our frailties, in our, in our fragileness. He comes and he says, now I can use you. Now you are in a position of strength because you're weak. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul says this. Paul understood hardships. Paul understood what it, what, how God used weak vessels to accomplish mighty works. It says in verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 10, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Wow, that is so, it is so anti-American. It is so anti-politically correct. Because we are supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be self-reliant. We're supposed to be able to, to make our own way. But like we already read, the foolishness of man, I'm sorry, the foolishness of God is wiser than any man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than any strength of a man. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I don't like weaknesses, and I don't like insults, and I don't like hardships, and I don't like persecutions. I don't like them. They're, they're not fun. I don't enjoy them. But if that's what it takes for me to be humble, if that's what it takes to get my attention, then God poured on. Then keep me humble. Keep me proper. Keep me with a pure heart. Let my weaknesses be weaker if that's what it takes for you to be stronger. If I can pray like John the Baptist that, that he must increase and I must decrease. Paul understands that. He understands how important it is that we're desperate, like we sang today, that we're desperate. Wow, when I recognize my desperation, when I recognize how desperate I really am, then Jesus can come in and fill us and strengthen us, and then he can build his church. He can build his church. God is responsible to build the church. And I've heard it said so many times, that God is responsible. And yes, he is he's responsible, but, but you know, he doesn't do it alone. Matthew chapter 16, verses eight, verse 18, it says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus is going to build the church on the faith of Peter and other men that are going to follow him. Jesus is the builder, but he uses men in the process. So many times we look at it and say, all right, God, if it's your church, you build it. I'm going to sit back here and I'm going to just kind of lay around a little bit while you build the church. Oh, folks, that's not the plan. He builds, but we work for his glory. He builds, we work for his glory. And there has to be that unity. 
continuing on in Matthew 16, it says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, Jesus is the builder. He's the one responsible. But he's granted authority to men to manage and grow his church. Jesus is building the church on the faith of Peter and other godly men. And that, that puts a little holy fear in me to think that God is depending, God is using me to build his church. It puts a little holy fear in me that I better be careful. I better be careful because he's counting on me. We together, yes, he's building it, but we together are working as one together. We're supposed to be actively involved. By him saying that I'm going to build my church does not give me the ability to sit in the sidelines and wait till it's built and then I come in. No, we're actively involved with him in the church building process. You know, that passage where it says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I had to go to a commentary because it helps to sometimes to understand things a little better to go beyond yourself. <laughs> a lot to go beyond yourself. But one commentary, one writer said this, Peter also has the authority to exercise discipline concerning right and wrong conduct for those in the kingdom, an authority that is not exclusive to Peter but is extended to the church as a whole. Jesus delegates authority to human leaders in the church who are called to govern his church on earth and under his or Jesus' ultimate authority through the application of his word. It's a good explanation of what that means. What we bind will be bound we are responsible to work alongside of Christ. And when we do that, we then are doing the job that he wants us to do. John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5 says it this way, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, that's interesting. As long as it is day, this is Jesus speaking. As long as it is day... He uses the word we. We must do the work of him who sent me. Jesus is saying me and you. He doesn't have a mouse in his robe. <laughs> He's talking about, he, and that wasn't a misspeak. Jesus doesn't mess his words up like I do and a lot of other people do. But it says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. That's you and me along with Jesus, and we're going to do the work as long as it's day. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We have a responsibility. Jesus is counting on us. He's counting on us, isn't he, Ron? He's counting on us to do the things that we need to do. He's given us a responsibility. And now we need to do it, and we need to step up and say we need to do the things that he has called us to do. Amen. We're going to be talking over the next few weeks more of what it means to know Jesus and what it means to grasp that, that simple little statement. My prayer is, my, here's my prayer, my prayer is that the glory of God will one more time be in our church. That the glory of God will one more time be in our hearts so that we will count the days down for Sunday. 
that we, will can't, that we will count the days and say, hey, it's Sunday, I get to go back to church. Not because we sing good songs, not because we fellowship together, but because the glory of God is in this place. And you know, when the glory of God falls on this place, this church will be so full of other people that want to experience the glory of God. That is the church that he's coming back for. That is the church that he's preparing. That is the church that he's sifting today. That is the church that he's coming back for, a church that understands and appreciates and seeks nothing less than the glory of God. Now, I don't know what that means yet. I can't grasp all that. So I don't expect you to. I don't expect you to go home today and say, well, I've got this all figured out now. The glory of God is going to be this. I don't have a clue because it's so big. It's so massive. It's so awesome. We're going to experience it together. We're going to find out what it is. Every Sunday we come back to this place, we're going to see the manifest presence of God revealed another way. And then God will get the glory for it. Amen? Amen. We're going to go into communion. This is a great time for us to... to, uh, to celebrate the, the, uh, the table of the Lord this morning. So, Jackie, if you'd come and, and uh, we'll just prepare our hearts to um, come to the table of the Lord because there is so much power and there's so much significance in communion. And I know it's the first Sunday of the month and I know it's something that we do on a regular basis, but Lord, help us never, ever, ever to take this for granted. Never, ever let us just come in and say, well, it's communion Sunday, so now we're just going to drink a juice and have a cracker. Help us to understand the significance of what this is. And here's the way we're going to do this. Last Sunday night, um, I asked us that we're here Sunday night to memorize a scripture. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Anybody remember it? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That is a prayer that we need to pray every day. As we prepare for communion this morning, I just would ask you to Recite this one more time with me. And make it a prayer. Close your eyes with me, if you can, and speak it with me. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. If you'd stand with me, and like we always do, let's just come down to the front and kind of make this family time. But as you're preparing your heart for communion today, let's understand the significance of those words. Just come down and take a juice and a cracker and just kind of gather around and let's go chat a little bit. Just pray a little bit. We're going to ask the Lord to be Manifest here as we are celebrating his table. When we say the word search me, 
I don't know what kind of word picture that brings to you, but to me it brings the word picture of a, of a million watt, a, a million candle power light that God turns on and he opens up my heart. And when that light is on, it, it, it's roving. It is looking for every nook and every cranny. And, and in that, it's saying, and what we're saying is, Lord, um, I'm giving you the authority, and I'm asking you, Jesus, to find out every sin in my life. I'm, finding, I'm asking you, Lord, to um, turn over every page of my book. Close your eyes, if you would, and, and just... Envision with me what this means. Lord, that you are just looking in every area of my heart, every thought, Lord, every little corner that I would have my favorite little, maybe small sins. Lord, that I call pet names like, oh, it's just the way I am, it's just the way I was made. If it doesn't line up with God's word, if it grieves the Holy Spirit because it's disobedient to God's word, understand what that is. That is sin. And that sin has to be dealt with. And so when we say, search me, O God, and know my heart, that's like walking into the Holy of Holies, folks. That's like you're the priest now. And imagine somebody just tied that rope on your ankle. And they made sure that you had bells on the bottom of your garment. Because you're walking into the Holy of Holies, into, into the presence of a loving God that is so just that he has to exercise justness. And the beautiful part of it is that he loves you. And he wants to forgive you of your sin. And he wants to clean up your heart. And so now as we are asking him to search us, and we're saying, test us, Lord. Find any, any anxious thought. And then see if there be any offensive way or see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. What that means is, it means, Lord, help me to deal with my sin. Now that you've shown it to me, help me to deal with it. Because the only way I'm going to find the way everlasting is if I have a clean heart and I don't repeat the same sins and, I, and I, have a, I have a full saving knowledge of application of his word in my life. And with that now comes the celebration of his table. With that then we can lift up the, the, the cracker as a representative of his body and we can lift up the cup which is the blood that he shed for us and we can celebrate that with him. Amen? So lift up the, the cracker with me, if you would, and let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize what this is. We recognize, God, that this is your body that you willingly allowed to be broken for us. That you willingly allowed yourself to be nailed to a cross. That you willingly allowed your body to be beaten to be torn, to be scourged, to an unbelievable amount of pain, Father. You did that for us, and we're so thankful for that. 
So, Lord, as we receive this bread now, we are asking you, Father, that we would then make you the leader, that we would give you the center point of our life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Let's partake of the bread together. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And now, Lord, we lift up this cup, which represents your lifeblood and your healing, Lord, for our bodies, for our minds, for our emotions, for our relationships, Lord, for any past hurt, Lord, for any past loss. Lord, we're allowing you, we're inviting you in, Jesus, to heal us. We're inviting you, Father, to accomplish what you've done in the cross. Apply it to my life. Lord, I receive your healing in Jesus' name. I receive your healing by the blood of Christ. I receive your forgiveness of sins by the blood of Christ. I receive your redemption by the blood of Christ. And I'd receive all of that, Lord, for one reason, and that is to bring you glory. To bring you glory, God, for what you've done in our lives. Nothing on our own brings us to this point besides utter desperation. Thank you, Jesus. We celebrate your Jesus. We celebrate you, Father. We celebrate you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's partake of the juice together. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just take a minute and let's just praise him in your own way. Let's sing a song that Jackie's playing here. Let's just celebrate here before we go into our fellowship time. But let's just really recognize that we want the glory of God and we want it to fall on us. And we just want to recognize who he is in our hearts and our lives. Amen. Just as I am with I just pray your blessing on us today as we go about our day today. I pray you'd be with us in the time of fellowship next door. 
Lord, I pray that we would apply today, Lord Jesus, what you've uh, taught us, that you're teaching us. Help us, Lord, as we go through the weeks following, Lord, that you're going to continue to lead us and teach us about who you are, Jesus, for your glory, that your glory would fall in our lives throughout this week. I pray blessing on each member, each person that's attended today, each person here, I pray your blessing on their life, that you would go with them and you would apply your love in their life this week, we pray, and bring us back, Jesus. And so full of you, Lord, we just can't wait to get in your presence one more time. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.